The following podcast contains adult themes and is suitable for mature audiences only. Hello and welcome to this very special bonus Lyrics of Their Life Christmas episode. We all love to happily sing along to good old Christmas carols this time of year. But my question to you is, do you know the true story behind these classic Christmas songs? Or where they originated from? In this Christmas special, we'll explore the unexpected origins and at times darker side of the story to some of the biggest Christmas hits, to some of the lesser known hidden gems. From Jingle Bells and White Christmas, to Last Christmas, and All I Want for Christmas is You. I'm your host, Adam Hampton, and this is Lyrics of Their Life, the Christmas special. The origins of Christmas music, in particular Christmas hymns, date back as far as the 4th century Rome and were written in Latin. The earliest hymn on record that related to Jesus and in a sense Christmas was by St. Hilary of Politiers and was translated in English to Jesus, Light of All the Nations. By the 13th century, Christmas music became popular when it was sung in the Italian language by Italian Catholic preacher Francis of Assisi who would first set up his own nativity scene and perform Christian hymns in the year 1223. In these times, carols weren't always related to Christmas, in fact they were celebratory hymns or songs usually accompanied by cheerful arm-linking circle-style dancing. By the 14th century, more hymns were written about less biblical and religious events, and more so about the joyful time of Christmas traditions, such as the celebration that comes with it, the snowy weather, and the gatherings of friends and family for sharing food and gifts. The tradition would be passed on from Italy to France and Germany before the English started writing hymns of their own. The earliest signs of Christmas carols that were written in English that are still sung today date back to 1426 by English priest and poet John Audley. It was during these times that carolers started the tradition of travelling door to door and performing a variety of carols for them. During the 15th century, folk dramas depicting biblical scenes such as the birth of Jesus and the travels of the three wise men were acted out in song, including the hymn Coventry Carol. In London, England, street patrollers or watchmen, known as the Waits, were incorporated into Christmas carols, where at Christmas time they would patrol the streets, playing drums and singing carols. In the year 1521, the first book of Christmas carols was published, including a variety of popular hymns and songs from over time. While many carols and hymns wouldn't become popularised today, in the 16th century, songs such as The Twelve Days of Christmas, God Rest You Merry Gentlemen, and the German carol O Tannenbaum, aka O Christmas Tree, all made their way to become popular Christmas carols that are still holiday favourites today. These were later published in the year 1642. In the year 1642, the British Council, known as Westminster Assembly of Divines, ruled Sunday as the only holy day of the calendar year, and by 1647, the celebration of Christmas Day on the 25th of December was banished. 
In the year 1649, the Puritans and Commonwealth of England, under Oliver Cromwell, who didn't acknowledge Christmas as it was not referenced in the Bible, had Christmas carols banned and made it illegal to be heard singing them. This ban included Puritan communities such as the United States. Those that still sung these carols were labelled as pagans and it was seen as a sin. It was during these times that many English men and women went against these laws and sung the carols anyway, as it was almost impossible for Cromwell and his men to police these new laws. The law banning Christmas and Christmas carols was removed 11 years later, in 1660, by King Charles II under the new monarchy after Cromwell's death from malaria and sepsis from blood poisoning. King Charles II ordered carols and Christmas celebrations be recommenced by the people, but the belief of some Puritans that were still against Christmas carried these beliefs through to today, with some not celebrating Christmas at all. 47 years later, in 1707, an author and poet named Isaac Watts published a book of around 400 hymns called Hymns and Spiritual Songs. The book became popular and started a resurgence in popularising Christmas carols and many other Christmas carol writers followed suit. The Victorian era brought about songs such as O Holy Night, Silent Night and The Little Town of Bethlehem. Despite this resurgence and these carols growing in popularity, the 19th century saw another dip in the popularisation of Christmas carols until two more books were published, with some ancient Christmas carols by Davies Gilberts in 1822 and Christmas carols Ancient and Modern by William Sandys in 1833. The two books helped revive the tradition and songs detailing the jolly old fat man in a red and white suit, known as Santa Claus, were written and became Christmas favourites, such as Up on the Housetop and Jolly Old St Nicholas. In the year 1871, John Strainer published Christmas Carols New and Old, which became highly influential in the resurgence of Christmas carols and their importance around Christmas time. In the year 1880, Christmas carols were sung in church in Cornwall, England on Christmas Eve, which started a lasting tradition to this day, which in Australia extended out of the church and into carols by candlelight, which initiated in 1937 on Christmas Eve, where Australians both religious and non-religious gather to sing and dance along to a range of performers singing their favourite Christmas carols. Up to the year 1930, Christmas songs were more so sung about Christian traditions and related somewhat to the Bible or to Jesus. But the Great Depression era brought about a new popular and commercialised Christmas music era with loads of Christmas classics being played over radio leading up to Christmas annually which ultimately has remained a popular fixture of Christmas time ever since. From songs about reindeer, Santa, snowmen and chestnuts roasting by the fire Many artists over time have attempted to have their songs become timeless classics, from crooners such as Bing Crosby, Nat King Cole and Frank Sinatra, to modern day Christmas favourites such as Mariah Carey with All I Want For Christmas Is You and even the likes of Justin Bieber and Ariana Grande. But what about the classics and modern day hymns that actually have other deeper and sometimes unrelated meanings that have been over time adopted into the Christmas theme? Where did these songs come from and what were they actually about? Starting Us Off is one of the most iconic Christmas carols of all time and one of the earliest written Christmas songs on our list, known as The Twelve Days of Christmas. The Twelve Days of Christmas was first published in the year 1780 without music to accompany the track 
and is believed to have originated in France during the 16th century, where it was originally intended as a memory sing-along game for children. After the song was published in 1780 in an English children's book called Murph Without Mischief, it was turned into a memory game that was designed to be played on the 12th night of Christmas, being the 6th of January. The rules involve participants reciting the song without making a mistake, otherwise they forfeit or would have to kiss their opponents or perform a task for them, almost like truth or dare. In 1909, English musician Frederick Austin altered the lyrics to the classic version we hear today, with many varied versions over the years, referencing a duck laying eggs other than geese, hares are running, bells are ringing, canary or collie birds instead of a calling bird, and ships are sailing. The song was often rumoured to be a cryptic, biblical tale to teach young Christians about Christianity due to Roman Catholics in England not being permitted to openly practice their faith from 1558 to 1829, but has since been debunked and is not the case. Next up is yet another Christmas classic titled Silent Night. Silent Night, or Still Nacht, was written in the year 1816 by Roman Catholic priest Joseph Moore, who was on assignment in the Austrian town of Mariupfar. After church that evening, priest Joseph Moore went for a walk and ventured up to the lookout overlooking Mariupfar, where he noticed the snow-covered town looking at peace, quiet and still. On his stroll, he decided to write the song that would become known as Silent Night. The priest was originally from Orbendorf, near Salzburg in Austria, and returned to the town the following year. Upon his return to the town, it was here where he met primary school teacher, choir director, and organ player, Franz Gruber, from the nearby village of Arnsdorf, Austria. The story goes that on the lead up to Christmas Eve in December 1818, in the St. Nicholas Parish Church in Albendorf, the organ broke and therefore no music could be played, and a repairman said it wouldn't be fixed in time for Christmas Eve. It is said that either rats or mice had eaten out the bellows on the organ, although the most likely scenario was due to flooding in the area at the time, which caused damage to both the church and organ. The priest was planning on having Gruber play organ for him on Christmas Eve, after he presented the lyrics to Silent Night to him. Together they decided they wouldn't let the broken organ ruin Christmas Eve celebrations, and they decided there would be music on Christmas Eve after all. The two sung together with the priest substituting the organ for a guitar, and Gruber adding his own melody to the song, marking the first performance of Silent Night on Christmas Eve, 1818. A couple days later, when a repairman showed up to repair the organ, he took a copy of the lyrics back to his own village in the Zilla Valley. From there, two pairs of travelling family folk singers, known as the Rainers and the Strassers, discovered the song and started singing it for themselves around parts of Europe. By 1839, the song had reached New York City in the US, with the Rainer family performing it there for the first time. During the 1840s, the melody was altered slightly to the version we know well today. Silent Night has become a song of peace and was even sung by soldiers during World War I when opposing nations, including Germany and Great Britain, held a truce on Christmas Eve in 1914. Around 100,000 soldiers from both sides emerged from their trenches and sat in no man's land together, sharing drinks, food, souvenirs and singing carols from Germany, Austria, England and France. Silent Night even became one of the best-selling singles of all time, with Bing Crosby's 1935 version 
now reaching 10 million sales. In the year 1824, the song O Tannenbaum was written by Ernst, Ernst Gutz, from Germany and was adapted to the English language as O Christmas Tree. Although Tannenbaum actually doesn't translate to Christmas Tree and originally wasn't intended necessarily as a Christmas song, Tannenbaum actually means fir tree, meaning the evergreen conifers or pine trees that we know as the traditional Christmas trees. But the song was written as a tribute to the fir tree itself that stays green and beautiful all year round as a symbol of constancy and faithfulness to the people of Germany. In the year 1857, one of the most famous Christmas songs were written by James S. Piermont, known as Jingle Bells. Originally titled One Horse Open Sleigh, believe it or not, it was actually written about a man cruising around town and looking to pick up a lady in the mood for a bit of fun being pulled by horses in a sleigh, or potentially horse and cart, until they lose control after he attempts to show off, and they end up crashing. Usually the song is cut short, keeping it child-friendly, with just the first verse and chorus being sung, but the second verse reads, A day or two ago, I thought I'd take a ride, and soon, Miss Fanny Bright was seated by my side. The horse was lean and lank, misfortune seemed his lot. He got into a drifted bank, and then we got up sock. Pierpont continues to describe the event as a passing rival laughs at him as he sings, A day or two ago, the story I must tell, I went out on the snow, and on my back I fell. A gent was riding by, in a one-horse open sleigh. He laughed as there I sprawling lie, but quickly drove away. Pierpont states in the last verse, to those listening, to go pick up girls while you're young, and pick the fastest horse you can find, to beat your rivals in an almost sleigh drag race. As the lyrics read, Now the ground is white, go it while you're young, take the girls tonight, and sing this sleighing song. Just get a bobtailed bay, 240 at his speed, hitch him to an open sleigh, and crack, you'll take the lead. The song would go on to be covered by loads of artists including Bing Crosby and Ella Fitzgerald and even became the first song to ever be played in outer space on December 16, 1965 by astronauts Wally Scherer and Tom Stafford while they were aboard Gemini 6 using bells and a harmonica as they played to mission control. Much later in 1957, an extension of the song would be released titled Jingle Bell Rock the song would become quite popular with versions from Bobby Helms, Hall and & Oates and even English rocker Billy Idol. In 1914, Ukrainian composer Mykola Leontovich came up with a simple four-note ostinato or repetitive instrumental piece called Skadrik, which translates in English to the generous one. Leontovich wrote the song after being requested to do so by the choir conductor of the Ukrainian Republic Choir. It was first performed in 1916, but soon became a forgotten piece due to the Soviet Union takeover. It instead made its way around Europe and America over the coming years. The song would later become known as the Carol of the Bells, when it was first performed in the US in 1921, when songwriter and lyricist Peter J. Wilhowski added his own lyrics to the melody relating to Christmas and so the song we know today was born. Originally the song wasn't related to Christmas time at all, and Ukrainian composer Leontovich based the meaning of the song around a Ukrainian folk chant that spoke about rebirth of the nation and the hopes of a prosperous new year, which in pre-Christian Ukrainian times was celebrated during the coming spring in April. 
1934, composer Felix Bernard and lyricist Richard Bernard Smith wrote the song Winter Wonderland. While the song doesn't mention Christmas, it was written about a couple's romance during the snowy and cold winter season. Richard Smith, who wrote the song, was born and raised in Honesdale, Pennsylvania, where he is said to have looked out over Honesdale's Central Park and was delighted to see it covered in snow, where he noticed a couple frolicking around together in the snow that was like a wonderland. When he wrote the lyrics for the song, he was actually in a hospital bed in Scranton, Pennsylvania, being treated for tuberculosis. Lyrics were later altered by other musicians to speak about themes of children frolicking in the snow and lent away from the romantic couple to become known as the popular version today. Also released in 1934 was one of the biggest and most successful Christmas songs of all time, Santa Claus is Coming to Town. The cheery Christmas song was written by Americans Fred Coots and Havin Gillespie in 1932, but the track almost didn't reach production as a pair of songwriters couldn't find anyone who wanted to produce it for them as they thought it was too much of a kid's song and that it wouldn't sell. One of the original lyrics penned by Gillespie included the line, You better watch out, better not cry, you better not die, I'm telling you why, Santa Claus is coming to town. The later version, of course, replaced the line, you better not die, with pout, to make it more child-friendly. In October 1934, it was finally recorded by banjo player and musician Harry Resser and his band, with Tom Stacks on vocals, but resistance to release it was still strong. Those that doubted the song's potential would be very wrong indeed, when it was sung by Eddie Cantor on his radio program later that same year in November. Co-songwriter Fred Coots worked for Cantor as a show writer and managed to persuade him to perform the song with a little push also from Cantor's wife Ida. In Cantor's performance, alternate lines that no longer remain included references to helping the poor, less fortunate and encourage others to be charitable and giving this Christmas. Cantor's radio rendition of the track quickly took off and orders came in for 500,000 copies of sheet music and 30,000 records of the track being sold in 24 hours. Since that day, the song has become an iconic Christmas favourite, with many notable covers ranging from Frank Sinatra, Mariah Carey, Neil Diamond, Michael Bublé, The Jackson 5, and even Bruce Springsteen. Every year, the song manages to re-enter the charts across the world and has sold millions of copies. The popular Christmas favourite, We Wish You a Merry Christmas, is said to have originated in England as early as the 16th century, but more than likely was performed for the first time during the Victorian era, as poor and hungry children would attend to the homes of the rich, all well off, and sing Christmas carols in the hope of receiving rewards, or in this case, figgy pudding, which is believed to be the equivalent of Christmas fruitcake or savoury pudding. It's believed that the carol singers, known as mummers, wouldn't leave until they received some type of reward for their entertainment and would continue singing the same carols over and over as loud as they could, forcing the rich to bring them the food they are demanding in order to make them leave. This is evident in the line, bring us some figgy pudding and bring it right here. Good tidings we bring to you and your kin. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We won't go until we get some, so bring it right here. Earlier versions in the 1830s are said to have read, a pocket full of money and a cellar full of beer. In the year 1935, lecturer, composer, conductor and organ player Arthur Worrell from Bristol University in England would popularise the carol, performing it with his students, and it was later published. 
Bing Crosby's version of the song would further popularise the track, living on as one of the must-have tunes in all Christmas playlists. The next song in our list is ultimately the best Christmas song to ever be written and is none other than White Christmas. Written in 1942 by Irving Berlin and iconically sung in the film Holiday Inn by Bing Crosby, perhaps the greatest Christmas carol singer of all time, Bing's crooning deep vocals on this holiday favourite has helped it become the best-selling single of all time, with 50 million copies of the single being sold and holding off Elton John's Candle in the Wind, who has sold 33 million. Add on top all the other sales of White Christmas by other artists such as Michael Bublé, and the song exceeds 100 million sales. Songwriter Irving Berlin told his secretary when he wrote it that, I want you to take down a song I wrote over the weekend. Not only is it the best song I've ever wrote, it's the best song anybody ever wrote. Almost 80 years on, and he certainly was onto something. It's said that Irving wrote the song while staying at a hotel in La Quinta, in the La Quinta, California area, during the warmer months, as he imagined a beautiful white winter instead. Irving wouldn't be the last to attempt to write a winter-themed Christmas song during the hotter months in order to cool themselves down. Later in 1945, Sammy Kahn wrote Let It Snow during a heatwave in July in Hollywood in the US. Both Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin would chart with their own versions of the song throughout the world. Another classic written in that same heatwave that was released in 1945 was the Christmas song, aka Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire. Written by Robert Wells and Mel Torm, Mel was quoted as saying, I saw a spiral pad on his piano with four lines written in pencil. They started, Chestnuts roasting, Jack Frost nipping, Yuletide carols, folks dressed up like Eskimos. Bob didn't think he was writing a song lyric. He said if he thought he could immerse himself in winter, he could cool off. 40 minutes later, that song was written. I wrote all the music and some of the lyrics. The Nat King Cole version would be the first to be released and remains the classic version we all know well today, despite great versions from Frank Sinatra and Bing Crosby also. The final classic that also utilises the think cool to stay cool mentality when writing a song is Sleigh Ride that was composed without lyrics in 1946 by Leroy Anderson after yet another July heatwave in the American summer. Lyrics relating to sleigh ride and fun Christmas activities were added later by songwriter Mitchell Parrish in 1950. One of the most memorable versions of the track with the lyrics was released in 1963 by the Ronettes. Other classic Christmas carols released during this time was the 1943 track I'll Be Home For Christmas, written by Kim Gannon, composed by Walter Kent and made popular through the vocals of Bing Crosby. Kim Gannon originally wrote the song to honour soldiers who had been away fighting in World War II overseas. Gannon attempts to write from the soldier's perspective as he writes to his family and tells them to prepare for his safe return at Christmas so he can celebrate with them, but even if he can't make it, he'll be there in spirit. The beautiful and moving lyrics read, I'll be home for Christmas, you can plan on me, please have snow and mistletoe, and presents on the tree. Christmas Eve will find me, where the love light gleams. I'll be home for Christmas, if only in my dreams. When the song was released and reached families in similar predicaments, it became a huge top 10 hit and was an instant classic with Crosby's stunning rendition boosting the morale of the troops still serving that Christmas. In the year 1944, an unlikely Christmas classic, 
called All I Want For Christmas Is My Two Front Teeth, was written by Donald Gardner, who together with his wife Doris, were elementary school music teachers in Smithtown, New York. Donald wrote the song after he was required to take over his wife's music class when she had to go on maternity leave when they had their first baby together. With Donald taking over the second grade class that had around 22 students, he asked the students what they would like as a gift for Christmas from Santa as the holidays approached. They all started their replies by saying, all I want for Christmas is... Donald noticed that over half of the class were missing at least one of their front teeth, and sometimes both, which was common at this young age, and it all clicked at once for Donald. He had been asked prior to this by the school principal to come up with an original song for the Christmas holiday school concert, and so the song was born. It was performed at the school concert and was that good that Donald's wife Doris said it brought down the house. Donald soon left the job as a teacher to work for a textbook company where he offered it to them for free. It later got passed on to a New York music publisher, but he was told it would sell no more than 1,000 copies and wouldn't ever be a hit. The publisher, however, quickly changed his mind and called him back and offered to have it recorded. In December 1947, a band named Spike Jones and his City Slickers recorded the track and when it was released in 1948, it proved to be a big hit with one particular front cover of a newspaper, the Record Bulletin, reading, Extra Extra, Jones Two Front Teeth, Rocks US with loads of laughter and gales of sales. The track was later popularised by Nat King Cole, Mariah Carey and even the Chipmunks. During 1944, another classic song now associated with Christmas was written, called Baby It's Cold Outside by Frank Loessa. Frank wrote the song for himself and his wife Lynn Garland to sing together at their housewarming party in New York City at the Navarro Hotel as it was expected of musicians in those times to perform for their guests at parties. It was performed at the end of the party to signal to guests that it was time to leave the party and go home. The song was a huge success after this performance and from here they were invited to countless high-end, wealthy parties to perform the song, as a closing piece to have guests know when the host wanted them to leave. With Lynn stating, We became instant parlour room stars. We got invited to all the best parties for years on the basis of Baby. It was our ticket to caviar and truffles. Parties were built around us being the closing act. Later in 1948, after four years of performing the song at parties, Frank sold the song to MGM Records without telling Lynn, which would feature in the film Neptune's Daughter in 1949. Lynn felt so upset by Frank selling their song that she said, I felt as betrayed as if I'd caught him in bed with another woman. The song has since been covered countless times as a duet with one of the most recent critically acclaimed being Adina Menzel and Michael Bublé. In recent times, the lyrics have been put under the microscope, with some believing they talk about sexual assault, harassment, or even the possibility of date rape drugs, and the lyrics have since been adjusted. The original and most classic version of the lyrics do raise concern, however, as they read, I really can't stay. Baby, it's cold outside. I gotta go away. Baby, it's cold outside. Been hoping that you'd dropped in. So very nice. My mother will start to worry. Beautiful, what's your hurry? My father will be pacing the floor. Listen to the fireplace roar. So really I'd better scurry. Beautiful, please don't hurry. Well, maybe just a half a drink more. I'll put some records on while I pour. The neighbours might think, baby, it's bad out there. 
Say what's in this drink. No cabs to be had out there. I ought to say, no, 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 sir. Mind if I move in closer? At least I'm going to say that I tried. What's the sense of hurting my pride? I really can't stay. Baby, don't hold out. You're very pushy, you know. I like to think of it as opportunistic. The lyrics continue to suggest the female character is attempting to get away from the uncomfortable situation, but the insistent man wins in the end as she stays for another drink, despite wondering what her friends and family might think or be wondering, as he keeps using unrealistic excuses to keep her there with him, perhaps get her drunk, and so on. Without a doubt, the lyrics are quite disturbing, and changing the lyrics mightn't be a bad idea after all. In the year 1949, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was written by Johnny Marks and based the song on the original 1939 novel of the same name by his brother-in-law, Robert May. The track was released in 1949 with Gene Autry on vocals, becoming yet another worldwide smash hit single, going to number one in the US and is still one of the best-selling singles today, with around 12.5 million copies sold around the world. Due to its release around Christmas time and it remaining on the charts into the new year, it became the first number one of the 1950s, but it would also hold the record as the only number one single to completely drop off the charts afterwards. The song would live on as a positive piece of music that encourages children to never give up, even in the face of bullies and others putting you down. Gene Autry would have a successful career with huge Christmas and Easter time hits with Here Comes Peter Cottontail, and Frosty the Snowman. Previously in 1947, he wrote and sung the classic version of Here Comes Santa Claus, which was also a big hit for the actor and country musician. Gene wrote the song after he had participated in a Hollywood Boulevard Christmas parade known as the Santa Claus Lane Parade in the year of 1946, while riding his horse. Santa was directly in front of him during the parade, and all the kids couldn't be fussed about Gene Autry, they just kept shouting, Here comes Santa Claus, repeatedly. In 1950, composer Jay Livingston and songwriter Ray Evans wrote and released the song Silver Bells, with the film The Lemon Drop Kid, and then followed with the popular recording featuring Bing Crosby's vocals. Originally, the song was titled Tinkle Bells, but when Jay returned home to his wife, she said, Are you out of your mind? as Tinkle was commonly known as another word for urinating. Therefore, the song was renamed Silver Bells. The pair both cite their own influences for the song, with Jay stating that he got the inspiration when he saw street Santa Clauses waving their bells and the Salvation Army that sends bell-ringing troops out to collect donations for the cause around Christmas time. In 1952, a songwriter by the name of Tommy Connor wrote a track called I Saw Mummy Kissing Santa Claus, and had 13-year-old Jimmy Boyd sing vocals on the track. When the track was released in 1953, many thought the song was in bad taste, as the young child in the song appeared to be catching his mother having an affair. The song was actually banned from being played on some radio stations in the US, and the Council of Churches also had it banned. Columbia Records, who helped release the track, took young Jimmy Boyd with them to meet with the council to attempt to get the ban lifted. With 13-year-old Jimmy there to sweet-talk them, the ban was lifted as he explained that the child in the song had actually discovered his father dressed up as Santa Claus kissing his mother. The song was then allowed to be played on radio again and has since became a popular but cheeky Christmas carol. Jimmy himself was a fan of the song but didn't think it would sell too well. 
Down the track, the Jackson 5 and John Mellencamp, along with countless others, have covered the song. 1953 would prove to be the year of controversial Christmas songs when Santa Baby was released that year. The song was written by Joanne Javits and Philip Springer and performed by American singer Eartha Kitt. Songwriter Philip Springer actually despised the song and thought it was one of the weakest songs he had ever written. The song speaks of a woman trying to seduce Santa Claus for expensive gifts of all sorts and would also be banned on radio, particularly in southern parts of the US, upon its release due to its raunchy lyrics and suggestive and flirty connotations. Despite the bans in place in parts of the US, it still became the highest selling Christmas song of 1953 in the US and now ranks on both the best and worst lists of Christmas songs of all time. It has since been covered by Kylie Minogue, Madonna, Gwen Stefani, Ariana Grande and even male musicians such as Michael Bublé and Robbie Williams. In 1962, a song named Do You Hear What I Hear was released with Harry Simone on vocals and was written by Frenchman Noel Regney and his wife at the time, American Gloria Shane. The song would rise to popularity through the Bing Crosby version released in 1963, but a common misconception is that the song is solely about a shepherd boy hearing of the news of the birth of Jesus. Regney utilises the imagery of the nativity story and actually masks the true meaning behind the track. It was in fact written about a plea for peace and praying for peace due to the Cuban Missile Crisis in October to November 1962 as fears were held that the Soviet Union and Cuba were set to launch ballistic missiles at the US and were threatening war due to the Soviet Union being spotted constructing missile bases in Cuba. The US followed suit and set up their own facilities aimed at the Soviet Union in Turkey and Italy as things got more intense. But luckily these fears were eventually withdrawn when the US President John F. Kennedy convinced the Soviet Union to dismantle their missile facility in Cuba and send the weapons back to the Soviet Union. The US also dismantled their facilities. It is said that this was the closest the Cold War got to erupting into a full-scale nuclear war. Songwriter Noel Regney was initially hesitant about writing a Christmas song after being asked to write one by a record producer, but found that if he could hide a secret hidden meaning in the song, then he would do it. The lyrics cleverly borrow from the nativity imagery, with the star in the sky actually being representative of a missile, with the size of it and the sound it makes as the lyrics read, Do you see what I see? Way up in the sky, little lamb. Do you see what I see? A star, a star dancing in the night, with a tail as big as a kite, said the little lamb to the shepherd boy, do you hear what I hear, ringing through the sky shepherd boy, do you hear what I hear, a song, a song, high above the trees, with a voice as big as the sea. Regney and his wife Gloria would never be able to perform the song themselves, as they found it too emotional and overwhelming due to the Cuban crisis, and ultimately the song would come between the couple years down the track. Regney later stated, Our little song broke us up. You must realise there was a threat of nuclear war at the time. Ultimately, the Bing Crosby version of the song would become quite popular, selling around 10 million copies. In strange circumstances, the day Bing Crosby laid down the vocals for the track in the recording studio was the very same day President JFK was assassinated on the 22nd of November, 1963 just one year after the Cuban Missile Crisis. 
In the year 1968, the king of funk and soul, James Brown, released his own Christmas album titled A Soulful Christmas. One of these tracks was titled Santa Claus Go Straight to the Ghetto. While James didn't write the song personally, he encourages Santa to head straight to the ghetto and bring gifts to those less fortunate kids that often miss out on the finer things in life. James sings from the perspective that he too has missed out on receiving gifts when he was young and hopes Santa will not forget the kids in the ghetto this year. While the song was never a big Christmas hit, it did however have a great message of giving to the less fortunate and remembering just how lucky you are to have gifts in the first place, as not everyone is that lucky. In 1971, former Beatle, music legend and world peace advocate John Lennon released one of the greatest Christmas songs of all time with Merry Christmas, War Is Over. Lennon penned the song as a protest against America's involvement in the Vietnam War and the war itself that was still ongoing at the time as he encouraged the listener to protest for peace and to end the war. He believed that we're just as responsible as the man who pushes the button as long as people imagine that somebody's doing it to them and that they have no control, then they have no control. The lyrics are simply brilliant and read, So this is Christmas, and what have you done? Another year over, a new one just begun. And so this is Christmas, I hope you have fun. The near and the dear ones, the old and the young. A very merry Christmas and a happy new year. Let's hope it's a good one, without any fears. And so this is Christmas, for weak and for strong, the rich and the poor ones, the war is so long. And so happy Christmas, for black and for white, for yellow and red ones, let's stop all the fights. But what makes the song even more special is the powerful and moving chant of War Is Over by a children's choir known as the Harlem Community Choir. Their voices often accompany imagery of the horrors of the Vietnam War in the film clips used for the song. It's not your usual happy, warm and cheerful Christmas song, but once again encourages the listener to think about the less fortunate in war-torn countries that often live in fear of their life every day. John hopes to put an end to wars for good, and so we can all move on and live in peace, no matter our differences. Initially, John and Yoko Ono wrote the song in their hotel room in New York City together. They recorded the track in late October with Phil Spector, producing the track of the pair, and released it to the US in 1971 that Christmas, but it failed to take off initially. When asked why he wanted to write a Christmas record, he replied that he was sick of hearing White Christmas. The following year in 1972, it was released to the UK where it became a hit there and went to number four. Eventually the track became a timeless Christmas classic in the US, but it did take some time. Just two years prior to the song's release in 1969, John and Yoko had large billboards placed in major cities all over the world that read, War is over, if you want it. These cities included LA, New York, Helsinki, London, Paris, Tokyo, Amsterdam, Rome, Toronto, Hong Kong, Athens and Berlin. This slogan, of course, would become the song's basis and suggests that we can end this war if we put down our weapons today and can learn to get along. If you listen closely at the beginning of the song, Yoko whispers, Happy Christmas, Kyoko, which is the name of her daughter to her ex-husband, Anthony Cox. And John whispers, Happy Christmas, Julian, which is John's son, Julian, to his ex-wife, Cynthia Powell. 
The Vietnam War ended in 1975, so John and Yoko's wish became a reality. When John Lennon was sadly assassinated three weeks out from Christmas on the 8th of December 1980, the song re-entered the UK charts at number two, and proving the song's greatness and importance, it has re-entered the top 40 four more times in the UK since the 80s, with the latest being in 2007. The song lives on as a popular Christmas favourite across many other countries, also including Australia, Germany, New Zealand and Austria, where it also charted well, and is a great reminder of the importance of world peace, coming together at Christmas time, being kind to one another, and thinking of those less fortunate. Also released in the year of 1971 was Joni Mitchell with her beautiful song, River. It has often been included as a Christmas song due to the story of the song occurring around Christmas time and the piano melody borrowing from Jingle Bells. It's believed Joni wrote the song about her sad breakup with Graham Nash in 1970 around Christmas time and about her music becoming quite popular at the time, which made her feel quite overwhelmed and therefore she escaped to Europe in Crete in the Greek islands for a much needed break. It was here in Crete where she sent Graham a telegram telling him she wants to break up their two-year romantic relationship. She begins the song speaking about her being in Crete where it's green and doesn't snow and outlines her wishes to escape the crazy music scene by singing, I'm going to make a lot of money, then I'm going to quit this crazy scene. I wish I had a river I could skate away on. Joni appears to be quite angry at herself for losing her man and blames herself for the relationship breakdown as she sings, He tried hard to help me, he put me at ease, and he loved me so naughty, made me weak in the knees. Oh, I wish I had a river, I could skate away on. I'm so hard to handle, I'm selfish and I'm sad. Now I've gone and lost the best baby that I ever had. Joni hits some incredibly beautiful notes in this track and it is definitely worth a listen. Joni's original was quite successful, but Ellie Goulding's cover version in 2019 would earn her a number one hit in the UK. In 1973, rock band Slade would release an unlikely Christmas song called Merry Christmas Everybody that ended up becoming a number one hit in the UK, Ireland, and reached the top five across European countries such as Germany and Norway. With two hit records already up their sleeve, including Come On Feel The Noise, Slade were quite a big band in the UK around this time, and their band manager Chas Chandler thought it would be a great idea to release a Christmas single. As expected, the Slade members were firmly against this, but one night when bass guitarist Jim Lee was taking a shower, the rhythm and melody for the verse came to him. Lee then utilised a discarded psychedelic Beatles-esque type song for the chorus that his bandmate and lead singer Noddy Holder had came up with in 1969 that was called Buy Me A Rocking Chair and the two songs became one. After a night out drinking, Noddy wrote more lyrics for the track through the night while staying at his mother's house as he added more Christmas type themes such as hanging your stockings on the wall. The song was now ready to record. What halted recording, however, was drummer Don Powell was injured in a car accident and his girlfriend was tragically killed. After being in a week-long coma and taking some time to recover both mentally and physically, Don was able to return to help the band record the track. The song has since become a timeless classic, especially in the UK. 1979 would prove a great year for Christmas carols, with a comedic and parody style song called Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer by musical husband and wife duo Elmo and Patsy. 
The hilarious Christmas tune speaks about poor old grandma wandering out into the snow, drunk on eggnog, when she attempted to leave a Christmas party and walk home, only to be run down by Santa in his sleigh and his reindeer. The dark humour style song was quite successful when released and has become a rather classic song these days that still sells quite well. Just in 2005, it sold 200,000 copies, was downloaded off iTunes and through Sony 46,000 times, and was downloaded over 100,000 times as a ringtone. It has also lived on through the release of its own plush toy line, becoming the number one seller at Christmas time. It had a range of films and TV shows based around it, and is sung in children's choirs still to this day. During 1979, Paul McCartney would write a simple, quirky but catchy tune called Wonderful Christmas Time that became a worldwide hit and an ever-popular Christmas tune. Paul became the third Beatle to release A Christmas Carol after John Lennon with War Is Over and George Harrison released Ding Dong Ding Dong in 1974. Ringo would join in on The Christmas Carols much later in 1999 when he released a track called I Wanna Be Santa Claus. During 1979, history would be made when the first ever rap song released by a major record label would surprisingly be a Christmas song called Christmas Rappin' by Curtis Blow. The funky beat borrows from the groovy bassline of R&B artist Chick with their song Good Times, which is the same beat that inspired John Deacon's bassline for Queen's Another One Bites the Dust. This beat mixed with Curtis Blow's fresh style proved a successful mixture and did very well selling 400,000 copies at the time. The song doesn't have a distinctive chorus and has a continuous flow that speaks about Santa attending a house party and getting in on the action. Along with Curtis Blow's second single called The Breaks that did even better, it provided the basis for a viable new genre on the popular music scene and Curtis Blow became the first hip-hop artist signed to a major record label with Mercury Records, opening the door for more hip-hop artists to follow. Two years later in 1981, a new wave band called The Waitresses would release a successful song called Christmas Rapping, which was a play on the track by Curtis Blow, as rap music was just starting to make waves on the mainstream scene. The song was written by guitarist and group founder Chris Butler and sung by female lead singer Patricia Donahue, who provides a great spoken word style vocal that could also be classed as a rap. The song speaks of a single woman who is extremely busy and exhausted after a long year and with the Christmas rush, and she meets a nice man at a ski shop and gets his number, but doesn't hear from him for a whole year and decides maybe she'll give Christmas a miss this coming year, as she will be alone. On Christmas when she pops down the shop for some cranberry sauce to complete her small turkey feast, she bumps into the same man from the ski shop who is also alone for Christmas and they decide to spend it together as the song ends up as a happy ending after all. Along with the iconic saxophone solos during the chorus and the positive New York vibe, the song lives on as yet another Christmas classic that is often used in films and was inspired by films such as Miracle on 34th Street with the full circle happy ending and would remain the group's most successful track of their career. In the year of 1983, during November, The Pretenders released the song 2000 Miles that would quickly become associated with Christmas, with many believing it was about two star-crossed lovers missing one another over the holiday period. 2000 Miles was written by lead singer Chrissy Hine and wasn't entirely meant to be a Christmas song, 
as it actually details Chrissy and her bandmate's sadness around the death of their original guitar player, 25-year-old James Honeyman Scott, who died on the 16th of June 1982 from heart failure caused by cocaine intolerance just a year before the song was written and released. Just two days before his death, another original member and bass player, Pete Farnden, had been sacked from the band for excessive drug abuse. Before the song's release in November 1983, during April earlier that year, Pete Farnden was also found dead at the age of 30 after overdosing on heroin and being found drowned in his bathtub. The song marks a rather sad period for the Pretenders in a time that left the band with just Chrissy and Martin Chambers as the surviving original members. Arguably the song is one of the most underrated Christmas songs of all time, despite charting well in Australia and the UK. The replacement guitarist for James, Robbie McIntosh, provides a memorable and reminiscent style guitar riff as Chrissy's beautiful vocals complete the emotional track. Chrissy hides the true meaning quite well, but when reading the lyrics it is clear that she is talking about James as she sings, He's gone 2,000 miles. It's very far. The snow is falling down. Gets colder day by day. I miss you. The children will sing. He'll be back at Christmas time. In these frozen and silent nights, sometimes in a dream you appear. Outside under the purple sky, diamonds in the snow sparkle. Our hearts were singing. It felt like Christmas time. 2,000 miles is very far through the snow. I'll think of you wherever you go. In 1984, George Michael and Andrew Ridgely of Wham! would release one of the most famous and successful Christmas tunes of all time with Last Christmas. Despite being associated with Christmas, it was actually written by George about a bad breakup and failed relationship that occurred the day after Christmas on Boxing Day, despite confessing his love on Christmas Day. Whether or not the story is true is unknown. George and Andrew were visiting George's parents when George wrote the song, with Andrew stating, We'd had a bite to eat, and we're sitting together relaxing with the television on in the background when, almost unnoticed, George disappeared upstairs for an hour or so. When he came back down, such was his excitement, it was as if he had discovered gold, which in a sense, he had. We went to his old room, the room in which we had spent hours as kids recording pieces of radio shows and jingles, the room where he kept a keyboard and something on which to record his sparks of inspiration, and he played me the introduction and the beginning, wistful chorus melody to Last Christmas. It was a moment of wonder. George had performed musical alchemy, distilling the essence of Christmas into music, adding a lyric which told the tale of betrayed love was a masterstroke, and as he did so often, he touched hearts. The song would be turned into a charity single, and all the proceeds would go to the famine in Ethiopia. Last Christmas would chart at number one in five countries around Europe, inside the top five in 15 countries including Australia, the UK, and around parts of Europe, and became the second best-selling Christmas song of all time in the UK, behind Do They Know It's Christmas by Band-Aid. In Japan, it became the best-selling single of all time to never reach the top 10 and would become the best-selling single of all time in the UK to never reach the number one spot. It peaked at number two only to be beaten by Do They Know It's Christmas by Band-Aid, who were also donating their proceeds to the famine in Ethiopia at the time and which George Michael also contributed to. The track would never chart in the US until the year of his death on Christmas Day 2016, where it went to number 11 on the Billboard Hot 100. 
It has now sold around 7 million copies of the single worldwide. It was that same year in 1984 that Do They Know It's Christmas was released, featuring a range of star-studded English and Irish performers, including George Michael, Phil Collins, Paul Young, Sting, members of Bob Geldof's Boomtown Rats, Bono with U2, Spando Ballet, Cool and the Gang, Status Quo, Heaven 17, Ultravox, Banana Rama, Duran Duran, and Boy George with Culture Club. The track was a huge hit going to number one in 13 countries including Australia, Canada, New Zealand, the UK and across Europe. The track features the memorable line, Feed the World, which was exactly what the song was aimed to spread awareness of, and the deadly and harsh conditions Ethiopians are expected to live in and to encourage people to donate to the cause. All proceeds from the single sales went to the famine in Ethiopia, Midger and Bob Geldof were inspired to make a change and write the song up after watching a series of reports by Michael Burke on BBC TV displaying the harsh reality of what Ethiopians face every day with no clean water, having no food and dying of severe deprivation and malnourishment with little to no chance of survival. It was the first ever footage or report on the famine there and shocked many in Great Britain who saw the report. Songwriters and organisers Bob Geldof and Mijur came under loads of scrutiny for the song being called bland, condescending and disrespectful to the people of Africa and Ethiopia, especially the line sung by Bono that reads, Well tonight thank God it's them, instead of you. But Ur later stated, It is a song that has nothing to do with music. It was all about generating money. The song didn't matter. The song was secondary, almost irrelevant. The success of the single encouraged Ur and Geldof to organise Live Aid and We Are The World in 1985, both of which were highly successful in bringing awareness to the famine. Despite all of the criticism, Do They Know It's Christmas raised loads of money for the cause and remains a favourite on radio across the world at Christmas time and reminds us all to think of the less fortunate and perhaps donate to those in need. To this day it has sold around 12 million copies and remains one of the best-selling singles of all time. That same year in 1984, Queen released their own Christmas song called Thank God It's Christmas. Drummer Roger Taylor wrote a majority of the song and had a hand from guitarist Brian May to finish it off. The song would remain quite underrated in terms of Christmas classics but wasn't given much of a chance at the time due to the release of mega-hits such as Do They Know It's Christmas, Last Christmas, and Shaken Stevens with his number one hit, Merry Christmas Everyone. Also coming into play was the fact that it didn't make the cut on any of their albums or have its own music video at the time. The lyrics speak about the relief of Christmas Day finally arriving, as the lead-up can be quite stressful, as Roger Taylor explains. Ironically, Christmas tends to be such a stressful time for so many of us. So many emotions, joyful memories of past Christmas. As delighted children and responsible adults, parents, it's just a great relief when it finally happens. When a music video was finally created for the song and released in 2019, Brian May stated, The video goes a little further by including a subtle reminder that we as humans now need to feel a responsibility for the welfare of all creatures on Earth not just for our own benefit and that of our grandchildren, but out of respect for the rights of animals themselves. Brian May personally loved the underrated track and said, Freddie loved it and did a beautiful vocal. I think it's just the most understated vocal and I love it. I'm very fond of it. 
I think it's a very different kind of Christmas song. Thank God It's Christmas is definitely worth placing on your Christmas playlist. With Freddie Mercury's incredible vocals, it's a great excuse to listen to Queen at Christmas time. One Christmas song that never had the chance to be noticed when it was released in 1985, however, was Tiny Tim with Santa Claus has got the AIDS this year. Known well for his high falsetto vocals, ukulele, and peculiar style of music, with hits such as Tiptoe Through the Tulips and Lovin' in the Sunlight, this extremely controversial dark humour style song was briefly released in 1985, only to be pulled from print completely due to the death of Hollywood actor Rock Hudson, who died of AIDS that year, as it was seen to be in bad taste. Despite the coincidental time of Rock Hudson's death, and the release of the song that included the theme of AIDS, Tiny Tim attempted to defend the song by stating that he didn't intend on trying to offend or make fun of anyone, and that he wrote the song around 1980 before Rock Hudson was diagnosed with AIDS at all, and before the acronym was ever used, as it was a new developing disease at the time. Tiny Tim also claimed that the song was written about a chocolate candy bar that was spelt with a Y rather than an I, and that it was marketed as an appetite suppressant, and therefore Santa couldn't come this year as he didn't feel too good from eating all the candy bars. Despite Tiny Tim's attempts to cover up the meaning behind the song, it was clearly related to AIDS virus, with lyrics such as, He won't be round to spread his Christmas cheer, the reindeer all look blue, they know what he's going through, he won't be yelling out, ho ho ho, but he'll be screaming out, no no no, he's lying sick in bed, call the doctor there instead, Santa Claus has got the AIDS this year. The track was quickly pulled from print by his record label before it could get out of hand, and is a rather forgotten Christmas song these days that has been labelled as one of the worst song titles of all time, and is practically banned from radio, which is probably a good thing too. A few years down the track, in November 1987, another controversial but great Christmas song was released titled Fairy Tale of New York by Irish folk-style band The Pogues. With Pogues lead singer Shane McGowan and female singer Christy McCall on vocals. Shane McGowan believes the song was written when the Pogues producer at the time, Elvis Costello, held a wager that they wouldn't be able to write a hit Christmas song. The song was first written in 1985 and would however go on to be a huge hit and gives off a brilliant Irish folk ballad vibe. The song was based around co-writer and Pogues member Jem Finer's story and he was originally going to base it on a sailor based in New York and missing his home in Ireland but his wife told him it was no good and thought it should have more of a Christmas theme with a couple down on their luck. Finer then showed the lyrics to McGowan and he added the Broadway story to the song and named it after the novel of the same name that belonged to Finer that was lying around the studio. After years of setbacks, including replacing the female singer, Kate O'Riordan, with Christy McColl, they were finally ready to release the track in 1987 after being impressed with Christy's stunning vocals. Fairy Tale of New York is a conversational call and response style song that tells an interesting story between two potato farming immigrants from Ireland in a dysfunctional and toxic relationship that hold big dreams to make it on Broadway together in the city of New York. The woman in the story likes a drink and takes drugs, and her husband is also a drunk and a gambler. Despite loving each other, they blame one another throughout the song for their troubles, and they voice their regrets in life as they confess these feelings at Christmas time. The Pogues describe the couple's arrival in New York City with the lines, They've got cars big as bars, 
They've got rivers of gold, but the wind goes right through you. It's no place for the old. When you first took my hand on a cold Christmas Eve, you promised me Broadway was waiting for me. You were handsome, you were pretty, queen of New York City. When the band finished playing, they howled out for more. Sinatra was swinging, all the drunks they were singing. We kissed on a corner, then danced through the night. The boys of the NYPD choir were singing Galway Bay, and the bells were ringing out for Christmas Day. The song became a huge hit at Christmas time, going to number one in Ireland and number two in the UK, and is well known for its almost abusive type lyrics that have seen the song censored or even banned in some countries, most notably for the lyrics that read, You're a bum, you're a punk, you're an old slut on junk, lying there almost dead on a drip in that bed, you scumbag, you maggot, you cheap lousy faggot, happy Christmas your ass. I pray God it's our last. The BBC edited out the words faggot and slut when playing the song with McGowan, later stating, The word was used by the character because it fitted the way she would speak, and with her character. She is not supposed to be a nice person, or even a wholesome person. She is a woman of a certain generation, and at a certain time in history, and she is down on her luck and desperate. The final verse is quite sad, but signifies their love for one another and the male character's respect for his wife's dreams, despite the harsh words thrown around, as he sings, I could have been someone. She sings, well so could anyone. You took my dreams from me, when I first found you. He replies, I kept them with me babe. I put them with my own. Can't make it all alone. I've built my dreams around you. The song had consistently re-entered the charts over the years around Christmas time in New Zealand, Norway, Sweden, the UK and Ireland, up to the year 2013. The track is the most requested Christmas song in the UK of the 21st century and is often labelled as the best Christmas song of all time within the UK. During 1987, hip-hop band Run DMC would try their hand at a Christmas carol with the track Christmas in Hollis. In this song, Run DMC sing about a run-in with Santa in Hollis, Queens in the New York, where they grew up. It was also released on a compilation album of Christmas tracks called A Very Special Christmas, and the proceeds went to the Special Olympics. The following year in 1988, Chris Ree would put out a great Christmas track called Driving Home for Christmas. The track became a big success and was written about a bunch of people getting stuck in traffic on Christmas Eve and then deciding to spend it together. The song actually came from a personal experience of Chris's. In 1978 around Christmas time, after a recording session at Abbey Road Studios in London, Chris's wife came and picked him up in her Austin Mini to save money on fuel as it was cheaper than buying a train ticket. Chris was tight on cash at the time, as his contract had just recently expired with his record label, and the label weren't willing to pay for his train ticket. As they made their way home to Middlesbrough, the pair got stuck in a large traffic jam. As they sat there waiting to move, snow started falling around them. Chris began looking around and noticed all of the drivers looking impatient and miserable. To liven things up, Chris jokingly started singing the phrase, We're driving home for Christmas. Then as they slowly crawled along, every time a streetlight shone its light inside the vehicle, he started to write down the lyrics to the new song. He later said it was a car version of a carol, and that he was going to give the song to Van Morrison, but never got around to it, so he released it himself. With Ree's soothing vocals, the song has since become a classic, and so a worldwide hit it would also become. 
released in 1989, was a song too good not to include, which was the Ramones with Merry Christmas, I Don't Wanna Fight Tonight. The song is an underrated Christmas track where Joey Ramone sings about the stresses of Christmas that usually result in fights and arguments between parents. But the song is actually quite sad and goes deeper than this. Although Joey Ramone had a generally happy childhood, he was often bullied for being an outcast and making matters worse, his parents would divorce when he was a teenager, which affected him significantly. Here he sings about the times his parents would have heartbreaking fights that led them to forgetting to make Christmas a special time and eventually divorcing. As he sings, where is Santa at his sleigh? Tell me why is it always this way? Where is Rudolph? Where is Blitzen baby? He continues with the line, I love you and you love me and that's the way it's gotta be. I loved you from the start cause Christmas ain't the time for breaking each other's heart. Other meanings behind the lyrics suggest that Joey is also speaking about his girlfriend Linda, which bandmate Johnny Ramone ended up taking off with and marrying just a few years before the song's release. In December of 1994, British boy band East 17 would release a ballad-style single titled Stay Another Day that would become associated with Christmas time due to the use of Christmas bells heard towards the end of the song to appeal to the Christmas market. The song would become a worldwide hit, reaching number one in seven countries, including the UK, where it stayed in the top spot for five weeks, and it also peaked at number three in Australia. What would come as a shock to many listeners, however, is that lead vocalist Tony Mortimer wrote the song in honour of his brother Ollie, who took his own life, and the struggle with letting him go. Mortimer stated about the meaning behind the song, saying, It was based on my brother's suicide and losing someone. What would you do if you had one more day with a loved one? It was all based on conversations I'd had with my brother, and I was trying to change it into a love song about the end of a relationship. Also released that Christmas in 1994 was none other than Mariah Carey, with one of the most successful Christmas songs of all time, titled All I Want For Christmas Is You. The song that speaks about wanting none of the fancier things in life, and just the man himself, the track would become a smash hit going to number one in 24 countries, including Australia, the US, across Europe and New Zealand, and rose to number two in the UK. To this day it has sold 16 million copies of the single worldwide and sits as the 11th best selling single of all time and second highest selling Christmas single of all time behind White Christmas. The song is also one of the most played and requested Christmas songs of all time on radio all around the world. Taking a leaf out of the book of the writers of Let It Snow, Sleigh Ride and Winter Wonderland, Mariah with co-writer and producer Walter Afanasif wrote the song during the summertime that year and attempted to write a song similar to Phil Spector's work with 60s girl groups such as the song Baby Please Come Home and came up with the track. Walter initially thought it sounded too basic, he didn't actually like the song personally and worried it would be a flop. But with Mariah's soaring vocals and unique but beautiful squealing high notes, nothing was going to stop this becoming a holiday smash hit. Released in 1996 by Australian musician Paul Kelly was the track How To Make Gravy. While not generally well known around the world, the track lives on as a classic at Christmas time in Australia. Earlier in 1996, Paul was approached by Lindsay Fields, who was the guitarist and backing vocalist for John Farnham and he asked Paul if he would sing on a charity album called The Spirit of Christmas for the Salvation Army. 
Paul agreed and was set to sing a cover song of Christmas Must Be Tonight, but it had already been done before, so he decided instead to write one of his own. Despite having a rhythm laid out that he had been performing at practice, he struggled to put words to the song. But after taking inspiration from Irving Berlin's take on White Christmas, he imagined himself in a place that he was actually not at. He wrote a Christmas-themed song, but instead from the perspective of a man serving time in prison over Christmas, as he tells his family through a letter that he misses them and tries to tell them not to forget the secret recipe for making the perfect gravy for the roast on Christmas Day. The recipe in the line, just add flour, salt, a little red wine, and don't forget a dollop of tomato sauce, was an actual recipe for gravy that Paul learned off of his father-in-law. Known as one of Australia's greatest lyrical storytellers, Paul Kelly delivers some great lyrics that immerse the listener into the story as if you're reading the letter from the man in prison known as Joe. As the opening lines read, Hello Dan, it's Joe here, I hope you're keeping well. It's the 21st of December, and now they're ringing the last bells. If I get good behaviour, I'll be out of here by July. Won't you kiss my kids on Christmas Day? Please don't let them cry for me. I guess the brothers are driving down from Queensland, and Stella's flying in from the coast. They say it's going to be 100 degrees, even more maybe. But that won't stop the roast. Who's going to make the gravy now? I bet it won't taste the same. The song went on to be nominated for an aria in 1997 for Song of the Year, but lost out to Savage Garden with Truly Madly Deeply. Just recently in 2018, the song re-entered the charts in Australia and made it to number 37. While All I Want For Christmas would arguably be the last great or classic Christmas song to have a lasting effect worldwide, and a lack of quality Christmas songs would chart after its release, Many modern-day musicians such as Justin Bieber, Coldplay, Michael Bublé, Sia, Pentatonix, Ariana Grande, Robbie Williams, Sam Smith, and even The Darkness have all attempted to keep the Christmas music coming with solid releases over the years. One thing is for certain, and that is Christmas carols will live on, no matter how old or new, from Silent Night and Jingle Bells to White Christmas and Last Christmas. Their important stories will live on for generations to come, and they will continue to be sung, whether they bring peace on earth, share the message of giving, love, joy, and happiness, or even for some, the feeling of sadness. I would like to wish all of my listeners a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, and thank you to everyone that has listened to or supported the podcast this season. I can't wait to bring you more exciting episodes in the new year, so make sure you're subscribed and ready to go when the new episodes are released. I hope you enjoy this very special Christmas episode. I'm your host Adam Hampton, and this is Lyrics of Their Life.